0: You're listening to 50 Plus a Tip, the show for strippers, ethical sluts, and other open-minded hoes. Hey guys, welcome back. It's Danica, and I'm joined today by Riley. And we're actually also joined by the sexy and talented Samantha Mack. And what doesn't this woman do? She's a porn star, a porn producer. She teaches women how to be successful in the sex industry and is the host of a ton of things and events. Her resume is longer than a fucking CVS receipt from a lifeguard to a stripper to a DJ to a stand-up comedian. There's not much this powerhouse woman doesn't do. We are so excited to talk with you. We've been planning it for a little bit now, and Riley was like, please let me interview her with you. So I dragged her along, and thank you so much for joining us today. That was such a nice intro. I <laughs> thank you. I wrote it myself. You
1: make me sound really good. <laughs>
0: you are really good. We only have the best on here, okay? <laughs> Clearly. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, we're super excited um, because you've just, yeah, you've done a ton of stuff and you're very well spoken and you're very open about everything, which I think is super admirable. And uh, yeah, so to get right into it, how did you first even get into the sex industry? You started with stripping, but how did you get there?
1: So it all started because uh, I was a lifeguard and I lost my first lifeguarding job and I got really depressed, and I gained about a hundred pounds in maybe a month and a half. I just sat in my car and cried and ate. Like I lost my, my, lifeguarding was my dream. And I remember I just suddenly woke up one day and I was like, oh my God, I'm so fat, I can't fit into any of my clothes. So I started working out and I started training. And every time I lost 20 pounds, I would give myself a reward. So my first 20 pounds lost, I got my nose pierced. My second 20 pounds lost, I got my nose pierced again. (laughs) Uh, I I pierced my tongue, I pierced my belly button, I pierced my clit. And then when I lost 100 pounds, I went and I took a pole dancing class because I knew like the 100 pound one had to be like a big thing that I would never dream of ever like getting for myself. And I took a pole dancing class and I was pretty good because I have a long background in dance. And by that Friday night, I was asked to work at the club and I made a shit ton of money. I think I made $1,600 my first night working. And I was like, wow, how was I working for like $16 an hour? And being criticized constantly, and now I'm being praised, and I'm on the display, and I'm in the spotlight, and I'm making thousands. <laughs> so I didn't quit my job right away, but I very quickly transitioned from lifeguard back into or into stripping. And uh, yeah, then as soon as I saw how stripping worked, I started at the Paramount in New Westminster. Classic. <laughs> everyone everyone gets, gets their break. Um, I was there for eight months, and then I was like, "Oh, I want." I don't want to just be like a house girl. Like I want to be the girl whose name is in lights. I want a trailer behind me full of merchandise. I want people wearing my t-shirts. How do I do this? And so I started like finding photographers and doing photo shoots. And then I went to Alberta and I danced there for a while. And then I came back um, with enough money to get my boobs done. (laughs) <laughs> and it was just all like cannonball from there. Then I started hosting like strip-a-thons and I was like, well, why would I just be on stage once when I could host the show? So I became the host of the show, the girl on the poster, the girls whose names in lights, the girl who was on all the t-shirts. And I just kind of like kept growing and growing because I wanted more and more and more and more. Um, stripping for me was never like an embarrassing, like dirty little secret. I was like, look at me, I lost 100 pounds. Stare at this. Yeah. <laughs>
2: so, look at the hard work. Yeah.
1: I dove, I dove head first into it and I, had a girlfriend who was filming femdom porn and she was like, Hey, I need a chick with big boobs in the background on my videos. And I was like, Oh, I would never do that. And she's like, You don't stand there, you don't have to do anything. And I was like, Okay. And so I stood there and I didn't do anything. And then she paid me for the video. You're like, I like I like oh, that. that was easy. <laughs> and then she started filming me working out and she would like sell my sweaty socks and my sneakers after. And they sold for like hundreds of dollars. And I was like, Oh. Okay, so porn doesn't have to be, like, eh, eh, eh. It can mm. actually be, like, other things. <laughs> yeah. So I did finish porn for two years, and then I got bored of having to be creative all the time. And I was like, I'd rather just look beautiful, getting fucked, and feel good. And so then 2012, I did my first hardcore scene, and it just, like, exploded after that. I was like, I don't ever want to go back.
0: Pun intended.
3: Uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's awesome. Uh, so you're one of the first people to be really – Uh, out and proud as a stripper. And I assume that that not only brought you a lot of positive attention, but also a lot of criticism too. How did you handle that?
0: So when I like, when we say like, you're the first, like, of course, you're not like the first stripper ever. But um, even (laughs) in the seven years I've been in the industry, I've noticed a huge change about how people are so vocal of their strippers. Seven, five, I'd say even three years ago, people were a lot more shy about it. And you were um really ahead of the game. Like you even said for yourself, I didn't think it was something to be ashamed of and you're really proud. Like I'm an out and proud stripper. Um and now that comes with a lot of like, wow, you're so body positive and you're so pro femme and or pro like pro feminist and but back then I don't think it had such a positive um connection in society. So how did you how did you handle that?
1: So in two thousand and five I had my first booth at a trade show where I was a very proud stripper. Um, some people loved it. Lots of people paid to take pictures with me. Um, it was like being a show pony. Um, I just think it was 2007. I was at the Abbotsford, not even nice taboo show or not, but nice sex show. And I was dancing on stage with the male dancers. Cause we would all perform at the same time. And I was dancing on a table and I, I did something. And this guy looked at me and he was like, my wife's got nicer tits than you. And I was just like, that was really mean. I just got off their table, went and danced with somebody else. And uh, him and his friends circled me in the middle of the, the venue afterwards. Like after the show, I went and I got changed. I put my t-shirt, my pants on. I'm like, this is really, like I felt really shitty about it. I'm like, these guys like insulted me. Who insults people? And so I, I called my brother and I was like, I need you to come work security at my booth. Like these guys are bugging me. I don't like this. You got to help me. And then they circled me and like threatened to fight me. and they were like shoving me around the circle like we were in high school and these were grown ass men and so i was like i remember just screaming bloody murder for security and security came and he and he was just like oh is there a problem here what's going on and then the guys who were working in the kink dungeon came out with their like leather kilts (laughs) on their floggers and they're like samantha you got a problem i'm like yeah these guys want to kick my ass they're like no problem boys and they just like <laughs> quietly escorted them out the back door the door closed and I never saw them again I love it oh my god
2: <laughs> but, always uh, the kink community but yeah it's been crazy like
1: there's like m- like men have wanted to beat me up for being an out and proud stripper which is crazy um ironically I, or shockingly I have a lot of female fans a lot of women are like I wish I could do what you do oh my goodness where do you buy your bras Where? how do you do this how do you do that um, it was men who had the issue. They were like, how dare you own your sexuality, madam?
0: Yeah. So, how I mean, dare, dare not it be free way. for us? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think, I feel like that's more often the case than not. It's like a lot of insecure men that are like, no, no, no. Female sexuality is only like when we want it to be around and we don't want to ever pay for it. And it needs to be uh, free and accessible to us. And how dare you get joy out of mm-hmm. it? It's only for our joy. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Gross um so okay you actually used to be a stand-up comedian uh which is awesome uh how did that fit into your sex worker career
1: um i was born on monday nights and so there was a club called uh the corner and the show was called comedy on the corner it was monday nights and so myself and a couple other strippers would go and we'd watch the comedians and it was fun and we'd always dress up and try to get attention because you know what else do you do on Monday night? (laughs) Um, And then I was like, well, I've been hosting events for a really long time. I tell stories on stage all the time. I always have to like kill time and keep the audience entertained. I'm like, I could do this. And so they gave me a spot. And so I told one of my classic jokes that I would tell at like a sex trade show. Um, and it was pretty good. And then I did it again and again and again. And, I became the girl who just talked about penis all the time. And it was fun, but I realized that I'm really funny when I'm hosting at a strip club, or I'm really funny when I'm hosting uh, the Taboo Naughty But Nice show, the sex shows, uh, the expos, like any of those exotic events. I'm hilarious because you're already in the mindset to talk about dicks and clits and boobs and butts. So when you go to like a dive bar in the basement and stand against a brick wall with a single spotlight on you. And you suddenly start talking about like lap dancing or guys like not having boners. The people <laughs> in the room get really uncomfortable. And I was like, Oh, this is not my demographic. So I was like, okay, well maybe I need to change my approach. Like maybe I need to like teach them what sex is first and then joke about sex. Yeah. And they were just they were not having it. Like they were like, "You have anal sex, dear heavens!" I need, <laughs> oh, to, merch. I need to pray for you. <laughs> and so I was like, "Okay, this is not the right place for my comedy. My comedy is is very explicit." And I was on stage with guys who were talking about being drunk and high, and you know, bad dad jokes, and it was. It got to a point where I was like, okay, I'm, I am now too outrageous for this show. And my stories were stories. They weren't just, like, one-liner jokes. Like, I would tell you, like, what has actually happened. And when you're giving your point of view about something crazy that happened in a strip club, it's funny to strippers. It's not funny to the customers you're making fun of. <laughs> <laughs> so so I bowed out of comedy, and I was like, you know what? I'll keep my I'll keep my jokes for the sex workers. It's fine; they get me.
0: Yeah,
3: it's the audience that appreciates it. Yeah, <laughs> For sure. We need to start our own like. Yeah, just... You gotta know your audience. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> we gotta start our own like stripper stand up club. Yes, that'd be iconic. I <laughs> represent.
2: <100%. laughs> Strippers are
1: hilarious. Mm-hmm.
3: I feel like we have to be the, the shit we go we have through. To put
1: up with and the stories we have, like.
0: Absolutely. I know. I I joke all the time, too. Like, only, like, in our group of friends can you be like, yo, this guy licked my asshole yesterday. And then, and, like, no one, like, bats an eye. Because it's, like, and and, and next Tuesday, what happened? Like, like, no one cares. But I completely agree. I have to kind of, like, remember where I am when I say certain things. Because, like, licking an asshole from a stranger is weird to certain people, I guess.
1: Right? Well, I have... A moment this morning at the gym. So this morning I was bleaching my asshole, as one does. And then I put on my workout pants and I was like Cause I mean after you're done bleaching your asshole, it's pretty moist down there, right? A little bit. And you gotta make sure you got everything. And so I I bent over in the gym mirror. I was doing some deadlifts and I looked and there was like a little bit of white cream that came out and I was like, oh crap. So I like you know, rub it in real fast. But I was like Oh man, like here I am doing really slow, controlled deadlifts. And each time I bend over, that fabric is pushing against my ass, and that little bit of white cream is coming out. Like people are gonna think that like jizz is falling out of my ass. <laughs> and I wanted to like, explain and be like, you know, it's just anal bleach. Don't worry about it. <laughs> so then I had to like go to the washroom and like double checked. And I'm like, in the ladies', like, washroom where there's like multiple stalls I've got like one leg up on the counter and I'm looking and I'm like okay no it's like all in my mind it's just because like you're so wiped down afterwards that like it's a little oily back there so I was like oh my gosh here I'm doing deadlifts thinking I'm squirting like white cream out my asshole. and I'm like this is hilarious to me this is hilarious to you but I couldn't do this at a comedy night because they were like what's anal bleaching yeah what is that who does
0: that that? people (laughs) come in assholes what (laughs) Oh yeah, know your you audience—it's it.
1: they're making snowball. Normies, <laughs> hey. man.
0: No, I can't. <laughs> the emotional labor it takes to explain things to people—I like—I need to get paid for. Um, mm-hmm. So you went and did. So your reward for losing the weight was to go take a strip class, and then yeah. then you were like stripping it is. <laughs> And then how did you progress from the stripping to actually acting in porn? So you did the scene where you were standing with your breasts, you got paid, you're like, that's dope, let's do fetish stuff, got sick of fetish, let's get fucked and get paid. (laughs) Like, it takes a lot of creativity, which people overlook a fuck ton. They're like, oh, every porn star just lies on her back and gets fucked. Or every OnlyFans girl, like, all you do is take a hot photo and get paid for it. Do they understand how much creativity goes into these shoots? If you take your business seriously, insane. Right. But I think I'm. I think I, I'm tracking your your career choices so far.
1: <laughs> so when I started doing fetish porn, um, we we had to open our own clip sites. This is before people knew anything about OnlyFans or anything like that. This is before MySpace. Um, so we had to open our own clip sites. We had to film, edit. And upload our own content. We had to figure out all the keywords, and there's words you can and can't use, and you had to figure it out by trial by fire.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, if your video got taken down, you'd ha- it was trial by fire. There were no like, there was no people like me to tell you what to do. <laughs> you just had to figure it out. And so we were all making our own money. So no one was paying me to do porn after my first couple of gigs. I was only making money based on what I was selling, um, and my girlfriend had been doing it for a few months, and she was very successful. And so she taught me and, like, held my hand the whole way through. She was amazing. Mistress T, she's so, 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 so successful and so knowledgeable. She taught me everything when it came to fetish porn. And so for two years, that's all I did. Giant test videos and bore videos and from videos and foot videos and, like, armpit videos. Like, you name it, we did it. Um, And then I was on a mainstream movie. It was a horror movie. And I was the lead actress and the man who was acting with me was quite attractive. And I was like, Hey, you should be one of my porn videos. (laughs) And then the first three scenes we did, we faked the sex. And then I was like, listen, like, why don't we just actually have sex? Like I kind of lured him into it. (laughs) Um, And then he was like, yeah, okay. So I started splitting the profits with him and uh, he didn't make a lot of money. So when I was handing him, you know, checks for like, you know, fifteen hundred dollars at a time he was like this is really good and so he got he got really into it he started writing and buying costumes and and doing set deck like he was really really into it so we shot together for almost two years and it was probably the most successful of my clip store career was that time because I had such an inspired partner um and then he didn't want to be porn anymore and I just took a year off and I didn't shoot And I was like, oh, no, like, I'm such a good porn star because I only sleep with one man. I'm not a whore. And then I was like, ugh, but can I be? (laughs) Huh. And so then I started dating shreds. And and I was like, listen, like, the porn life isn't for you, man, like you don't want to be a part of this, like, just be my boyfriend, relax, and he was like, no, I want to do this so badly, <laughs> and so he's he slipped into porn, and by this time, like, I was, like, working with other companies, I was working with Hollow Girls, we were doing a bunch of VR, um, I had been to the AVNs and back a few times, and she was just like, put me in coach, I'm like, oh, I don't want to, it's
2: going to ruin your career,
1: because he was a pro wrestler, and he had a bunch of kid followers, Oh, and they called themselves the shreddies and they made Aww. their own t-shirts. They're adorable. <laughs> but I was like, listen, like you're going to like ruin your wrestling career if you do this. And he's like, yeah, but I don't get, he's like, I only get paid 50 bucks to wrestle. And I'm like, okay, well I can pay more than that.
0: So <laughs> I can do you 55. Started,
1: if you're lucky. <laughs> we started, yeah, we started shooting porn and he loved it. Cause he's an attention whore. He did a really decent job. And then the, the more jobs that came into Vancouver, um, I'm only one woman, so I could only take one role. And they were like, Well, listen, we're not gonna come unless there's six roles filled. Mm-hmm. And I was like, crap. So that's when I started creating porno boot camp and I was getting a roster of men and women together. So when companies would come here for work, not only did I get work, but then I could ensure that I got continuous work because I was like, Oh, you need six roles filled? I got six girls. Mm-hmm. Oh, you need you need two guys and three girls on Friday at six, no problem, I got that. So I started building this roster, not because I really wanted other people to get work, but because I wanted work. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be better. I wanted to work for more companies. I wanted a bigger name. And then oh, after time and time again of having to explain to people like, okay, guys, like, yeah, you got hired by a company one time. You got one fat paycheck, but now you have nothing. Here's how you can have something. Own your content. Own the rights to your content. Put it on your own website. And then, once again, this is before OnlyFans. Um and I was like, get a clip store started. So I was starting people's clip stores for them. I was editing content for them. I was doing trade for content where I would make the video for myself and for them. We both sell it separately. However you want to advertise it and make money is your business. How I do it is my business. You know, if I choose to ignore it, I make nothing. That's my fault. If you choose to advertise all over the world and you make millions, that's, that's good on you. Um, and we did that for a while. But because I had 10 years experience already, I had a big following. I always made more money than everyone else. And everyone else got really mad at me for that. <laughs> and so I was like, listen, you you need a fan base. If you're going to sell stuff on the internet, you need to have a Twitter. You need to have an Instagram. You need to have a fan base to sell things to. Otherwise, you're just putting something on the internet for sale and nobody knows it's there. Um, and that was the part that was really hard because then jealousy came into play. Um, so I backed out and I changed my website from samanthamack.com to macmovies.com so that I could focus on all the talent instead of myself. So now on my website, there's whole videos. I'm not even in, I probably directed it and held the camera or or edited it, but I just focused on the models and then they could share the content. And then it was an even playing ground. Um, we did that for years and now I'm, I mean, like way fast forward. Um, now I'm here in LA and shreds is in Vancouver and he's running Mac models in Vancouver for me and he's now filming and editing the content um with different models out there and then I'm doing the same thing down here and we've like branched out and spread our wings and now we're actually creating like um a much bigger porno boot camp that's going to go it's going to reach much further and offer many more jobs to people and we're about to launch it and I'm super stoked. So exciting. I can't say too much about it but it's it's pretty cool what we're doing now. Like Yeah, a little teaser. <laughs> we have staff
0: that's awesome. We, we have,
1: it's more than just me now. Now, now there's staff. There's coaches. So
3: <laughs> <laughs> it's great. That's awesome. Uh, so are there certain scenes that you won't do in porn? I know I listened.
0: I gotta like, say, like, I am a huge fan of you. So I've creeped your stuff. I've, you know, <laughs> seen your anus a lot. Uh, you know, I, <laughs> you're perfectly bleached. Um, and I know I've heard before that there's there are certain scenes that you – won't do for your own moral moral reasons. Um, which I think people would be shocked to hear that. Wait, what? Like a sex worker with morals? That doesn't exist. Um, which is one like the most annoying things people say. Um, but one of them I hear is a cheating girlfriend scene and you're not. Yeah. yeah. So can you explain to the listeners why that is one you won't do or other ones you won't do?
1: I don't want to create a fantasy that you might react reenact in real life like um i remember doing them and having a really gross taste in my mouth afterwards huh pun intended um <laughs> i remember doing like um i forget what it's called but my very very first video ever uh was myself and my ex uh james wire and he's mowing i think it's called the lawnmower man actually he's mowing the lawn okay and perfect. i'm all like ooh, look at that there's a trap like I'm like Mrs. Robinson in the house in my lingerie. And I'm like, oh, look at that man taking sure it's so hot outside. I should offer him some lemonade. And then he comes in the house and I'm like, oh, could you just help me with one more thing? I can't pull out this, this folding bed. <laughs> and so he pulls the bed out for me and then I'm seducing him. And he's like, no, I shouldn't. Like my wife and kids are waiting at home for me. And I'm like, no, you can't resist me, blah, blah, blah. And the only way I would do that script is if at the end of the video we revealed that it was role and He was actually my husband. Um... And I was like, oh shit, it's three o'clock. You gotta pick the kids up from school. And then uh, I throw his keys at him or his pants at him or something. And I'm like, oh, when you get home, finish mowing the lawn. Uh And (laughs) then we like tied the whole movie together. And Mm -hmm. you saw it was a couple doing like role play and not just like Mrs. Robinson next door seducing the neighbor boy. Um, Because I don't want someone to be like, Oh yeah, my wife is no good. You're so much better than my wife. Oh my God, I hate her so much. Yeah. Like that shouldn't be what makes your dick explode. That's not that's not cool. I don't like that. Um so yeah, I don't like I don't do cheating stuff. My wife and I just did a video um where we had to like turn the limo around right before the wedding because she'd never been fucking the ass by a man. And so I called <laughs> my friends, I'm like, Hey, could you fuck my my wife in the ass, please? Take one for the team, she needs this. And then She's like, I feel like I cheated on you though. And then he ends up saying like, well, if I sleep with your wife too, will that be fair? It's even. <laughs> and like, yeah! He's like, how and can we, I
0: make this better for you? <laughs> <laughs> um,
2: Good guy. You know, I, <laughs> I,
1: I always have to have scripts where it's very clear that the sex is consensual mm-hmm. and that we are not doing something behind your boyfriend or girlfriend or wife or husband's back Um I just don't want that energy out there. I've been cheated on so many times and it hurts. I would not want to encourage the next generation of men to think that cheating is something that is sexy and to be desired. Mm -hmm. So that's just, I just don't do it. And I've gotten flack for it too. Like I also don't do like stepmommy, um, like taboo fetish stuff. Mm -hmm. Cause I was like, you know what? I don't, I don't need to encourage you jerking off to your mom or your stepmom. That's weird. Mm -hmm. And I get requests constantly. Like I just, Sent back like a thousand dollar request the other day. This guy was like, "Please send a video. Call me Caleb and tell me that you're my mom and and make me do this, that, and the other." And I was like, "No, please stop seeing Freud. He's a terrible therapist. You do not want to fuck your mother. Stop it." uh I was like, "I, I can't. I don't even like. No matter how badly I I need a bigger paycheck, I'm just like I." can't be that person for you. There's lots of characters I can play. There's lots of things I'll do. The list of things I will do is much longer than the list of things I won't do. Kick from that menu. Um, you know, I just... Like, there's lots of crazy shit I will do. Like, I broke into a school bus to fuck. That was fun. I broke into a church, and then we wiped up the cum with... We ripped up pages from the Bible. Like, there's lots of crazy shit that I'll do. <laughs> but uh, but I won't be your mom, <laughs> and, I, and I won't... Uh, I won't encourage your cheating fantasy. Okay. I have in the past and it was gross. And I think I've deleted the majority of those videos. At one point I deleted 300 videos from my catalog because I just didn't like the content. Mm-hmm. I didn't feel it. It didn't sit right with me.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. Uh, well, that kind of ties so. us on to our next question as well is about ethical porn. So can you kind of explain to us what this term means to you or how, what you think about it or yeah. I think that we are aware of who our audience is. Um,
1: and therefore being aware of who they are and how they're reacting to our content, we have a little bit of a responsibility to behave in a certain way. Like if I know my content is making you cheat on your wife, if then I need to change my behavior or I need to change how you perceive my behavior. Um, yeah, you know, it's <sighs> the biggest thing we do now, um, cause I'm producing so much content now we have a code of conduct that we send to everyone before they ever work with us. And we explain exactly what is expected on our end and expected on your end. Um, I tell people, if I keep you on set for more than four hours, I will feed you. I promise. Um, There's always water available for everyone. Now we have all these COVID steps in place as well. Um, Your job is to be on time. If you are not on time, it is up to the director to decide whether or not to wait for you or to fire you and hire someone else. Um, So, we try to treat it as much as a professional job as possible. Um, And that blows amateurs' minds. A lot of amateurs are like, oh, I'm coming to get laid. I hope I get the hottest girl in the room today. And we're like, no, no, you are a hired actor. You're hired to do a job and you're just doing stunts with your genitals. That's what this is. And it is crazy to them to get over that mental hump where they're like, oh, you mean this isn't for my pleasure? Um, So we are very, very specific about what we're shooting, why we're shooting it, how we shoot it. We go through everything beforehand, what names I'm going to call you, what names you don't want me to call you, what actions you want, what actions you don't want, um, how to, how you like to be touched, how you don't like to be touched. Everything is, it's got to be a okay before we start shooting um, in order to stay, um, in order to keep everyone happy, in order to stay ethical, in order to not push any boundaries or breach any codes of conduct. And we need to be as professional as possible. So that's what we do now. It's so business-like. The least sexy place you're ever going to be is on a porn set, especially (laughs) one of mine. (laughs) It's a lot of paperwork. Yeah. It's like an hour of paperwork before you even get naked.
0: Yeah. Well, we actually, there is a local podcast and they, I I try to listen to a lot of local things and, you know, support local or whatever. And there's a podcast of two squares. They're not sex workers. And, some of the times they talk out of their ass, and I'm kind of like, ugh. But they made a comment about fucking porn one time, and they're, you know, I don't like porn in my relationship. I don't like my boyfriend watching porn. No, no judgment, whatever. Up to you. Um, but uh, they they made a comment being like, yeah, I don't know why my, my boyfriend would jerk off to all these fucking coke whores, like stripper or sex workers or, no, uh, porn stars are just a bunch of drug addicts
3: yeah I think it was
0: <laughs> something like that you probably the, know better than the I quote do.
3: was all porn stars are on crack
0: oh yeah all porn stars are on crack wow
3: <laughs> then, so I'm
0: sitting there alone being like wow and <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, <laughs> like wrote them this like very like polite message being like I think you should educate yourself here are some articles to read here are some things to look into here are some porn stars you could talk to because that's a very You're dangerous good. thing to say and very insulting to a lot of people in the industry who take it just like yourself, very professionally, have a lot of pride in their work and the way they conduct themselves. Um, and she kind of ignored it, so I, like, didn't let it go. And I, like, went on her live feed and I was, like, <laughs> type, 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 type like, yeah. <laughs> um, And then I had – her had they had us on their podcast to talk about it a little bit more. Um, good. But one of the things – I know about you, or I've heard you speak on before, is your sobriety, correct? Yeah. Yeah. I'm straight edge. Yeah. Totally straight edge. Yeah. So you're a sober sex worker, a sober porn star, (laughs) which, you know, flies right in the face of their bullshit like all porn stars are crack whores. Um, So, yeah, I think that's an important thing to note about yourself as well is that you do all this soberly and in a very professional way.
1: And I've been sober my whole life. I've never actually been drunk, or I've never until it was like, oh, how old was I? I think I was thirty-two was the first time I passed a joint from one person to the next, just because they couldn't reach. And I was like, damn it, there goes my streak of not never touching pot. <laughs> um, but yeah, I've never. I don't smoke. I don't drink. I don't do drugs. Um, that's what my, my three X's are. Everyone's like, oh, you got porn tattoos. I'm like, no, the three X's is for straight edge. No drinking. No drugs. No smoking. Yeah. Um, and so that's just been my choice my whole life. Um, I was having a conversation with a normal man the other day, and he was, like, asking all these questions about the industry. And he's like, well, what if you need to, like, take a shot to get in the mood? And I go, well, then you're not qualified for this job. You need to get out of the way because somebody else is ready, ready and willing. Mm-hmm. And he was like, what? That's really harsh. And I was like, if you need to drink alcohol for your dick to work around me, then you shouldn't be around me. End of story. Mm-hmm. I, I have a roster of men who can be ready like that. Yeah. Why, what makes you think that you're so special?
3: Yeah.
1: Um, yeah, it was just, that was nuts. And I was like, no, no, no. I and mean, that's one of the big rules we have. There's no drinking. There's no smoking. There's no vaping on set whatsoever. You need to be clear of mind so that you can consent to what you are doing. And then once the scene's finished, do whatever you want. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Um, just because I don't do it doesn't mean I don't, I don't care if you do it or not. But don't do it before my set so that you're not functioning at a completely clear of mind point of view.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I want to touch on that. Because it's one of the biggest uh, stereotypes, and stereotypes and misconceptions I hear a lot is that, you know, sex workers all have drug problems or they're alcoholics or they're doing it to fuel an addiction and daddy issues, which I know you do have a good relationship with your family. Um, oh, yeah, I do. <laughs> yeah, so that's something I just wanted to touch on because I think it's important that people acknowledge um those those people and they're not outliers you know I don't ever drink when I'm working uh you barely ever drink when you're working um so yeah we're here with you (laughs) yeah yes
1: Uh, I read oh what was that book that came out um how to make how to make love like a porn star by Jenna Jameson that book came out in like what 2000 and I remember really relating with her in that book um because her brother and her dad were kind of similar to my brother and my dad um in that her brother was a loyal good brother and that her dad was a cop. That's about as similar as it gets, actually, if you read the book there. <laughs> Nothing else is similar. Um, but uh, I remember reading that book and she was like, yeah, I lost thousands of dollars because I would stumble down the stairs and just drop money. I was so fucking high. And I was like, wait, you you dropped money? <laughs> what? I'm never going to not be able to pay my bills because I was so high that I dropped money. That's never going to happen. And that book really made a big impact on me. I think that's one of the reasons I decided to really be sober. And when I started working at the Paramount, back back in the day, uh, mm-hmm. no one there was sober. <laughs> not a single person. And I was like, I was like, well, all you bitches are gonna be dropping money and I'm gonna be picking up, <laughs> <get it>. girls. <laughs> and I I made bank there. Um, but it's because I showed up first, I left last and I was totally sober. I didn't need to take smoke breaks. I didn't need to go downstairs to the drug room. I mean, mm-hmm. there's no drug room there. Um, know. <laughs> you know, like I, I was on the floor working the whole time we were open. I made bank that launched my career,
2: mm-hmm. but it
1: was because I was the only girl in the room who could do the job a hundred percent, a hundred percent of the time. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. And it made a huge difference. And it's because Jenna Jameson wrote this book about how she was such a fuck up. I was like, oh, so here's all, here's the how to's on how to do it. And here's the how not to fuck up list. I'm like, I have the rules to stripping right here. Oh my God. And then I went and did it. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Love it. Um, So touching back on the certain scenes that you are not interested in doing, you won't do. um, What is your favorite subsection of porn to perform?
2: Ooh.
1: I love really creative stuff. I like making movies. I like telling a whole story. I'm not a big fan of gonzo scenes, although there's a time and a place for a good gonzo scene. But I like, um, a story from beginning to end. I like making a movie. I just did one with loveherfeet.com where, uh, my boyfriend and I roll up to this mansion on Halloween and it's super romantic. And of course there's lots of foot stuff in there cause it's for loveherfeet.com. Um, <laughs> but the moon is full and there's thunder and lightning crashing. And I'm wearing this long latex dress with this hot sex scene. And then the moon comes through the, the window and then he turns into a werewolf and all hell breaks loose. Um, and that, I loved it because it was just, it was a whole story. Like we had to film dialogue in the car and driving up to the house. And it was like two hours where like there was no sex involved. We were just filming the story. And I just love that because at the end of the day, you know what the character's motivation is. You know why he's trying to plow her so hard or so gently or why he's biting her foot because he's a werewolf and now she's a werewolf. Like, it's, it's amazing. Um, my foot got bit real hard at that time. Um, did you like it? really yeah. <laughs> Oh. I, I, picked, I picked the actor I was working with because I like it when he bites me. Oh. Um, so not only did I get to work with my favorite male performer, but I got, like, dibs on the script. I got to be the lead. Like, it was just a dream come true. Um, I've got another big movie like that coming out this year, uh, which I can't tell you anything about, but it's huge. <laughs> it's going to take months to make. I'm really excited about that. Um, but yeah, I love creating stories. I like, I mean, I like movie making. It just became a lot more fun to make movies with sex involved. <laughs>
2: Cause
1: I started off making indie films. Like I did a ton of horror films. I've done a ton of indie films. I've done a ton of like actual movies and TV shows. Um, but the most fun I had was making porn because I'm in control of everything and I get to create as whatever fantasy I want. Um, I did femdom porn for 10 years. And then just this year, um, I got a taste of my own medicine and was in a very weird position where it was in my best interest to be submissive for a scene. And I was like, I don't know what I think about this. And by the end of the scene, I'm just like, yes, (laughs) dad. Um, and I was, shit, I can't show this to my fans because they've never seen me like this. I'm always the bitch in charge. And I was like, if I post this, like, what's going to happen? And it was my best-selling video of all time. And my fans were just like, we've never seen you like this. And I thought they were going to be like, I was like, oh, crap, now I've got to be this dismissive bitch all the time in order to keep making money. And they were like, No no, you are our goddess. We serve you. And he is the only man worthy of bringing the goddess to her knees. And I was like,
2: this could not have gone better.
1: (laughs) So I still get to like do my regular content and boss people around. I still have all of my, my femdom fans and my little slave boys online and they still adore me, but they're like, but now they're like, they'll pay for me to have a scene with this guy. So that I can be properly rewarded and properly fucked the way the way God intended, yeah. <laughs> and it's amazing because like I really enjoy it. And, like in my real life, I love that. But on um, my porn life, I was like, oh, I will not be weak. I will not be a submissive woman. I will not. I will not beg. I will not crawl on my knees. And now it's like, well, there's a time and a place. <laughs> I might. <though.
0: laughs> I can crawl for a bitch. <laughs> yeah,
1: I can crawl for the right motivation. <laughs> I'll crawl for money. (laughs) Um, When the dick is good. (laughs) Lots of things I'll
3: do. Uh, So having sex on camera, I would assume, gets very exhausting, especially when you're having to hold places to get the shots, to get the angles. Um, So do you ever get sexually depleted? And if so, how do you kind of rejuvenate that? Right. Like Um, Like you just said yourself,
0: like, in your personal life like you can be submissive but this is the role you play in your character like I assume like the, playing those roles and like she said like the not like you said yourself it's not that sexy on set like there are like you're you're working so yeah just like work can be depleting how do yeah, how do you deal with that sexual depletion if you experience it and how do you bounce back I think I'm really lucky because I
1: genuinely love what I do um I will act my heart out. Um, I have a scar on my knee from a film I did last month where I was fucking on a tattoo chair and the hinge of the tattoo chair just dug itself into my knee. and It just slipped me open. And I was like, Oh, that hurts. And I'm like, Oh, it's a good angle. And I can see the water. And I'm like, all right, let's keep going. <laughs> just kept going. Um, and at the end of the movie, I was like, oh, I need a band aid." <laughs> um, but it just the acting takes over. Like my, my love for movie making really takes over. There's some positions that I just can't do. Like I had abdominal surgery. And so, um, if I have my legs like in a pike position for too long, one of my ab muscles will like pop out of place and it hurts so bad. It's happened on set twice here in LA. Um, and it's super embarrassing. Cause like, it's so painful, but I don't want to show anybody else that I'm in pain. So I'm kind of like, hang on, I'm okay. Everything's fine. I have to, like, massage my abdominal muscle back in. Um, but the dudes are cool with it. They're like, they get like We get leg cramps all the time. People get like foot cramps constantly. Um, it's just part of the game. Like, especially this, that, uh, lover feet video I did. I had to sit like this waiting for him to come on my toes forever. Uh,
2: uh,
1: and, yeah. and I mean, it wasn't that long, but like when you're sitting <laughs> naked on a dining room table, and you can't go up too high because you'll hit the chandelier. So you got to stay in like a really low V and like all your abs are clenching at once and your toes are pointed and your knees are together and everything's squeezing. And you're like, yeah, maybe come on my toes. You're just like, I just want to like collapse. I just want to like lie down and be like, oh, I'm so yes. Okay, but,
3: but you can't. Just come on my toes. <laughs> yeah.
1: Right. And then he did come my toes and it was perfect. And it was amazing. Um, and then the biggest comment on the video is, Oh my God, the cum shot on her toes was so good. I'm like, Oh, thank God. because
2: I worked for it.
1: <laughs> I worked for that one, but it just, it happens. We also have, um, easy ways to communicate that you don't see on camera. Um, Especially when you have the same partner over and over again, you guys learn how to communicate without saying anything. You know that this tug means that, or this tap means that, or if they start to lift this leg, what position to magically go into. And a lot of times we're changing positions because somebody's sore or tired or the table's pinching their tailbone or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so working with the same performers over and over again, you start to be able to perform like a dance. Mm-hmm. And you know that when they when they put their hand here that you've got to move a certain way because it's the next move. You can start to feel each other. And it's I really like relate it to like a good tango dance couple. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like the ones we watch on TikTok all the time. They're amazing. But they're amazing because they know each other's movements and they can interpret what's going to happen next and how to flow properly with that person. So when you get a partner like that on set and your, your director lets you guys go with it, you can create some really beautiful points some really gorgeous shapes. Um, but that's not always the case. Sometimes you get thrown with a newbie who doesn't know what they're doing. and You're like, all right, let me, let me take care of business here. I got you.
0: <laughs> well, that actually kind of touches on the next question too, and I mean, for myself, I find if I work a lot in one month, especially if I have a partner during that time, when I come home, like I don't really want to be on. I don't want to be like I don't want someone talking about my tits. Like I just want like you to like you know like I don't want that sexual attention for a moment because I've you know been at work in the winter time. If I'm working for like sixteen plus hours at parties and, and strip clubs, I come home, I don't want the attention, that sexual attention. I want to have to give sexual energy. I don't really want to receive sexual energy. And I mean, I know every woman in the industry is different, but has working in porn changed the way you are sexually in your personal life or how you enjoy sex in your personal life?
1: Um, yeah, I think one of the greatest moments I, where I had that kind of epiphany was when i got hired to be the dj at the penthouse after the fire of 2011 2012 and they asked me to come back because i was working at radio when the penthouse burnt down uh because you need to do something to buy the time and then they were like hey can you come back and be our dj and i was like yeah and i remember my first night working at the penthouse wearing pants and i was like i'm going home with cash in my purse and i kept my pants on what like it felt so wild to like be good at something without being seen like i'm in a little booth i'm behind a screen all you can hear is my voice and my music selections that's it and then i'm sneaking up and down the back stairs to like direct the girls and coordinate the night and i'm like i'm doing all these things and i'm doing them so well that i'm getting tipped like a stripper but I don't have to get naked. No one even knew I could, I could not have tits and still be, successful. it was amazing to me. And I think that was one of the first times I realized that I had skills beyond just being what people wanted me to look like. I mean, I always knew that I could act and I always knew, you know, I was, I was a good lifeguard. I loved studying medicine. I loved working as, as a trainer, but when I was able to like be a DJ that first night, I was like, wow, I'm I'm good at stuff. This is incredible. Who knew you didn't need tits to be successful in this world. <laughs> um, now working in radio, I volunteered cause it was for queer FM and I'm a huge queer ally and a gay ally. And I wanted to be there and I fought for that position, but to like have somebody request me because they liked the way I talk because they liked my radio voice because they, they thought I was good at my job was just so rewarding. Um, yeah. It just blows my mind. And I, I do stuff like I took a online class in cognitive exercise or sorry, cognitive fitness this year, just so I could have a piece of paper that says that I studied at Harvard.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, COVID gave us lots of opportunities for this. So I like to flex how smart I am sometimes just to prove to myself that I can do other stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and so <sighs> when I talk to men now, like both my wife and I are on a dating app because we like dating men we like being married to each other. We like playing with men once in a while. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the dude's nice to have around, Mm -hmm. Um, but not for like a long time. Like just, you know, just be the big spoon and then leave. Um, (laughs) But talking to these men online is so, so funny to me because they're just like, Oh God, you're so beautiful. I'm like, yeah, I know I have a mirror. Come on. Like, let's talk about bikes. Let's like, do you ride? What kind of motorcycle you got? And they're just like, Oh, you could get on the back of my bike. I'm like, no, I got my own. We're good. Like, (laughs) you want to race? Like, and they're just like Oh girl, I bet you look so good bent over on a sport bike. And I'm like, yeah, I absolutely do, but that's beside the point. Come on now. Like, you wanna you wanna hit up a trail? Like, what's going on? And uh, getting this sexual energy from men that I just don't want is so weird. Like I'm constantly feel like a ninja just like batting away their comments. And like they're like, oh, good morning, baby. I'm like, I bet you're fucking baby. Like, <laughs> you've not even met me yet. Get out of my DMs. What? And it's so weird. And I realize because I'm constantly being given sexual energy and I'm constantly pushing it out that when it comes into my real life it feels like work and I don't like it um, I like it when people just want to be my friend because they want to be a part of whatever I'm doing you know I've got friends I go motorcycle riding with I've got friends that I go to the beach with friends that I hike with uh, you know, everyone's got their gay BFF that they bitch with <laughs> but it's so weird to have guys come at you like this whole dating site thing is super new to me but it's so weird to have guys come at you and just be like, oh, God, you're so gorgeous. I'm like, yeah, that's why you clicked on me, you idiot. <laughs> of course I am. <laughs> Next, like, I swiped on you because your face looks decent enough and you swiped on me because mine looks decent enough. Now let's continue. And they're like, oh, man. This one guy kept going on and on about I wanted to suck my toes and he wanted to take me on a date and romance me and he wanted me to wear a short skirt. And I was like, listen, this conversation's really sexual. I'm not feeling very comfortable. Can we just, like talk until we meet and then vibe each other out. I'm like, this is a lot too, too much too soon. He's like, oh, okay. He's like, just one more question. Do you squirt? And I was like, yo bro, you'll find out if I squirt, if I want you to find out. But right now you're just a name on my phone. I don't even know if you're real. This is weird. This is gross. He's like, I'm just trying to flirt with you. I'm like, well, you're doing a really shitty job. <laughs> and I find that I'm so harsh with men now because they've been trained and taught to sexualize women. What do you do with a woman who doesn't want to be sexualized? Like a dude would go so far if he was like, wow, that idea you had was really smart. I don't know how you came up with that. I'd be like, oh.
0: You, my- <laughs> <laughs> you want to see me squirt?
1: <laughs> <laughs> no. And they're that's. Like, Damn, Samantha, you're so funny. I'd be like, oh, you're coming my
2: pants. Yeah. Kansas. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and I
1: just like, they're like, I love women like you. Your, your body is exactly what I'm looking for. And I'm like, Cool cool. I'm so glad that I'm the object of your affection.
0: Yeah. No, awesome. I, com- <laughs> I completely agree. I think that's something that like a lot of women in the industry, um, like like exactly how I said I feel, like in the way you say you feel. And I think Riley has the voice that too. Like, yeah, like we get enough sexual attention um, work that when you get it outside of work and like un- unsolicited or kind of like unasked for, it feels like you're working again. It's like, uh, no, like, there's more to me, and, like, I present that at work, and that's why I get paid to present, but, like, you know, I have two degrees, or, like, I'm doing my statistics major, like, I have more to offer, and I was with a client of mine yesterday and I'm pretty mean to my clients like I definitely am I dom sometimes too so sometimes that filters a little too much into my regular <laughs> clients where I'm a little too mean but uh he was like your face is so pretty I'm like okay cool I'll tell my parents that since it's pretty much this ge- their genetics um anything else to offer and actually compliment me the fuck on and he's like You're Danica I'm like chill <laughs> and I was like no like yeah I get that's a compliment but like I didn't make the face like well I mean I paid for some of it but <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah. Like, but yeah so I completely agree where it's like yeah like." Like, comment me on my brains or comment me on how funny I am. Yeah.
1: Well, and I also think, too, that um, for me, being being called pretty, I don't think it's sincere. Mm. Because I spent so much of my life being the ugly duckling that, like, Mm. I still don't quite see myself as pretty. Like, I know if I put my war paint on properly and fluff my hair that I can look like the image you want. Mm. But I don't... I still don't, I still have fat girl syndrome, so I still believe that I am not pretty, mm. um, which is my own psychological issues. But so when a man's like, oh, you yeah, you're so pretty, I'm like, okay, what do you want? Like, mm. it doesn't ever sound sincere to me. Like, I don't think anyone actually thinks that I have a pretty face or that, you know, I'm a beautiful woman. Like, I think that they're saying that to get what they want. Mm. And so it it kind of sounds like a lead in something when someone's like, you know, don't take offense, but you're like, oh, here comes the other shoe mm. about to drop, you know, like, So it's like, oh, wow, you're so pretty. I'm like, uh huh. And and what do you want from me?
2: Mm. You
1: know, like it it kind of feels like that lead up. Um, It just means so much more when you can compliment somebody on their choices or uh, personality trait or their skill or achievements. Like, I've I've achieved a shit ton of things. Like, I got a catalog of things you can compliment me on. Um, Being humble is not one of them. But um, (laughs) it's just, it comes across as like, like like it's a it's a password to get what you want to be like oh you're so pretty oh my god your boobs are so big I love big boobs okay (laughs) well I bought them because people like them yeah so I got your attention check that works now now
3: what (laughs) like fuck what do you want from me so it's like the low-hanging fruit of compliments it's like the easiest thing to tell a woman it's generic like it requires no sincere. no but thought if a or woman tells you you're pretty oh my god yeah it's, different a different story. Story. <laughs> it's a different
1: story if a girl's like girl you look so good i'm just like oh. Oh made." <laughs> <laughs>
2: and
1: like not even like my little gay heart but like i'm just like for a girl to tell another girl she looks good like you must look good for that to happen because girls that, do not yeah. just throw out compliments no like a chick on the way to the gym today she's like oh my god your gym outfit's so cute and i was like pulled my headphones and I'm like
2: thank you
1: I got it I'll send you the link and I was like I felt so good I was in the gym like damn I do look good that girl said so like a hundred men could have told me that I was the most beautiful thing they'd ever seen in their entire life and I would be like uh huh what do you want from me but that one girl being like wow your outfit's really pretty and I was like (gasps) <gasps> she loves me. I'm the hottest girl in here. Yeah. Oh my gosh! My workouts are paying off. I do feel this out right. Like, and yeah, I get like a compliment from a woman is so powerful. 100%. Yeah,
3: I feel like it's such an intention thing as well. It's like if a guy compliments you, you're like, you just want to stick it at me. But if a girl compliments you, you're like, you don't want anything, just my happiness. <laughs> uh, but yeah,
0: but conveniently, you just mentioned something that actually we want talked as well is body image. And you just said yourself, you know, I sometimes when people compliment me, it's hard to wrap my head around like that. that's actually how people see me. And I know you did uh, body competitions before, fitness competitions. And I can only imagine that industry and that world and sex work are very focused on physique and body and looks. And how do you, how do you navigate that? How do you battle that with one, being a woman in the world and what we already deal with and then being in two industries that are so focused on the exterior.
1: So I had two totally different perspectives because I've been in the adult film at 250 pounds and I've been in it at 150 pounds mm. And at both times. I was very successful. Even now when I'm posting my before and after photos, a lot of my fans are like, we liked you better before you were better when you were chunkier. And I'm like, <laughs> Oh, well, they there's 700 jumping. videos. <laughs> in my catalog. Go watch one of those. Then. Um, So what's interesting about being in porn and like developing your own websites and having your own fans is that they're there for you and whatever that niche is that you provide them, whether it's your personality, your look, or the type of porn that you make. So my weight really didn't matter. It never mattered. They just wanted me, and they wanted me to be happy. Um, And so I got – I won't say I got lucky. I didn't get lucky. It's just learning that porn is – hits people in such a deeper way than we actually expect on the surface. Um, so when I say like I have porn followers, I mean, people who are like subscribed to what I do and follow my every step, not just somebody who's like flipping through the hub every day, Mm -hmm. um, clicking through like 47 pages before I find that one thing that gets them off. Like, you know, porn (laughs) connoisseurs are like, I like that girl and here's her story. And this is why I'm drawn to her. Mm -hmm. And, And it's really interesting to have See that side of the industry because that side's not advertised. The side that's advertised is, you know, the guy secretly watching the hub on the bus on his cell phone, right?
0: So they did 10 minutes in so, when the penetration's happening. <laughs> right? Yeah. um
1: So for me, though, when I first lost 100 pounds and started stripping, and then I started doing fitness competitions, for me, it was just like, wow, I've always wanted to do this and never thought I could. But it turns out if you try, you can actually achieve stuff that you want. And I just it was my first time ever experiencing that. I think I was like 24, 25 years old. And I was like, wow, if you work hard, you could get something wild that you thought was just a dream. Nothing is just a dream. Anything is possible. All you have to do is work hard. And I was like, mind blown. Mm-hmm. Like Growing up in Abbotsford, you know, I was always told, you know, you have to go to church on Sundays and you go to school Monday through Friday. You babysit on the weekends. Like, this is what's expected of you. And you're going to grow up, you're going to find a nice man, you're going to have a white picket fence and 2.5 children and a small little dog.
0: And you're going to have them by 20.
1: (laughs) Once you figure out that that what the world expects of you doesn't have to be what you expect of you, all of a sudden the opportunities are endless. And I was like, well, I want to be a bikini model. And then. And I said that when I was like 232 pounds. I'm like, I want to be a bikini model. And my little country ass and my like wraparound sweater dress, because I couldn't fit into anything else, was like, this is gonna take a lot of work. And it took a lot of work. And then a year later, I was on stage in a bikini for the very first time, and I won fifth place in my very first competition out of 17 women. Amazing! So I was pretty – I mean, fifth is the last place you can come in. They only give out five awards.
0: Oh, whatever. But
1: <laughs> there were 17 good. women competing for those five places, and I got the last spot. I was so happy. And then I competed again, and I was driven to, like, keep going. And I was like, well, how much, how much better can I do? And I kept competing until I got first place in 2010, and then I just gave up. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, okay, I achieved this. Yeah. What's next? Um, but – being, being out of shape or overweight was only an issue in stripping because they want a certain image on stage in porn. It was never an issue because it was your personality and it was your content that was selling. Um, and there's really something for anybody out there. And so it blew people's minds where they were like, Oh, well, you're too fat to be a stripper, but how are you successful doing porn? I'm like, huh? Surprise. There's more than just your opinion out there. (laughs) Um, but now for me, like, this year I'm trying to lose hundred pounds. I've got 22 pounds left to lose before new year's Eve. Um, which I think I'll probably come real close. I don't know if losing 20 pounds by new year's is, is going to happen, but I'll get real close. Um, but now I just love going to the gym. I love being strong. Um, I love my body looking more and more like a Barbie doll. It's something I always wanted. It's something I felt I couldn't have. Um, it's just, it's hard and it sucks, but I was like, you know what? If if it's something I want, then how bad do I want it? And it all comes back to that whole thing where if you're willing to work for something, you can achieve it. You just have to keep working hard. Mm-hmm. And so I had to give up Starbucks lattes, which if anyone knows me, I'm addicted to Starbucks. I would have like four or five lattes in a day, like no problem. I would go buy two at a time and like DJ, and chug one and then the next. Like I love especially Christmas drinks. It's so good. Uh, yeah. uh-huh. um, but now I only have like Starbucks refreshers. Or I have their medicine ball tea. That's all I drink at Starbucks now. So I can still go to Starbucks, but I only have like 90 calorie drinks, not 400 calorie drinks. Um, cutting all sugar and salt out of my diet was super, super hard. But I was like, okay, well, how bad do I want it? Do I want to look like the, the quote unquote ideal image of a woman? Or do I want to eat cake? Like what's going to make me happy? And at the end of the day, dancing around in dental floss is going to make me a lot happier <laughs> than that piece of cake is going to make me. So it's been a long journey. We're at like 10, 11 months in now, 11 months in, and I've lost nearly 80 pounds. Awesome, And it's incredible. Like my clothing doesn't fit anymore. I feel sexier when I'm performing. I can I can do a squatting cowgirl position much better than I ever could before because when you've got 200 pounds on you, it's really hard to hold yourself up. Um, I feel I feel like the image of what I wanted to put out in the first place. Um, and I realized that that at the end of the day, your fans are going to follow you and love you no matter what.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And it just, you need to be happy because when you're happy, it radiates and people are attracted to that. So me getting up and going to the gym each morning and trying to get abs desperately makes me really happy. And people, my fans, my, my people, my, my peasants, (laughs) they, they react really positively to that. And they really push me forward. And now they're sending me their before and after photos and showing pictures of them going to the gym and this ripple effect that I've created didn't come from fitness. It didn't come from my body changing shape. It came from me showing how happy this makes me. And other people saying, wow, I'm unhappy and I want to be happy too. So it's just been this like massive tumbleweed that just keeps going and going and going. That's awesome. Or in BC we call it a snowball effect.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, congratulations on the 80 pounds. That's, that's crazy yeah. and well-deserved. Um, so are you stripping right now? Do you ever go back to the strip club? Or you just stick strictly to porn now?
1: Um, Well, I mean, it's COVID, so everything's closed. I (laughs) have not stripped since... I I mean, 2009 is when I retired from stripping. I've done a couple spot shows here and there. Um, I think the last time I was on stage was maybe 2017. I just did, like, two songs one night at a club to cover for a girl. Um, I'm hoping that I could feature out here once like COVID lifts again, because I really, really miss performing. Performing is fun. I love being on stage. But now that I'm like, I'm 37 years old. I'm like, who wants to go see a 37 year old stripper? I'm sure there's a bunch of people who do actually. And why would I think that way? Like, why would I give into those, those preconceived ideas? So I'm really hoping that I can, I can get back at it just for fun. Um, but here in the States, it's a lot different. Like I got to, submit paperwork to the government, ask for the opportunity to work. And then I've got to find an agent and it's a, it's a whole, it will be a whole chain of events before I can be on stage again. Right. Um, but I really miss performing. Like I did crazy shows. So I I miss it. Like I had a spider web show where I like under my outfit, I was covered in bondage shape and I would untwist between the two poles. Oh my God. Specifically in it. Fort Mac. And I would create a spider web on stage on a bondage tape, and then I would get twisted up in it and hang upside down, do all this crazy stuff, and then like rip it, rip out of it. Um, I did fire shows, slip and slide shows, paint shows. Um, For New Year's Eve, I would like balance a ton of champagne glasses, and then like pour champagne off my tits, and it would like splatter off my nipples, and like fill the cups up. And I was, I was, I had so much fun stripping. Like I used so many props. And somebody was always going to get squirt with silly string from, from what they thought was my pussy every show. Like I just had such a blast with it because I genuinely loved performing. I loved themes. I had theme promos to go with theme music and theme costumes every show. Um, it was, it was fun. It was, I turned stripping into like a carnival. Um, and nowadays you just have to have a bikini and take a pole dancing class and boom you're a stripper.
3: I was just, and that breaks that. my heart.
0: When I was in Fort Mac, the performance was, like, amazing. Like, showmanship was crazy. I was out there for a few years. And then when I came here and started at Brandy's, there was, like, a few girls here and there. But I was kind of like, oh, why are they allowed to do stage and they're not doing anything? And then when I went to Five, in the last few years, I was like, wow, these these girls really don't do a whole lot. There's a few that stand out that I'm like, okay, they clearly were around in the Fort Mac era and they they know how yeah. to perform. But like you said, most girls, they just have a bikini on and they'll take off one piece at a time and they'll walk between the two, touch the pole maybe here and there. like, Yeah. Yeah.
1: No, it's far different than it used to be. We had theme Thursdays, um, Wet n' Wild Wednesdays, and like if you were not into doing shower shows all day Wednesday, you got fired. If you theme Thursday, if you didn't have a new and different theme for every show that is different than every other girl. And I mean, like, I don't mean like come out in a schoolgirl costume. I mean come out in like a Spanish flamenco dress with sombrero filled with nacho chips and then pour hot cheese all over your tits and feed the audience. Like you had to have a crazy theme in order to perform or you got fired. Yeah. Um, And if you were one minute late for your show, you got fined a hundred dollars. You were two minutes late. You're fined $200. That doesn't happen anymore. And girls are very lazy these days because we got our butts kicked having to work like the prairie circuit back in, Oh my God, how old am I? 2002 (laughs) was horrendous. Um, crazy, crazy stuff happened out there and girls were getting stabbed in the implant for so that they could take their spot on stage. I got punched in the head in Alberta because this girl wanted my stage time. And I'm like, girls were physically fighting for the opportunity to be on stage because the money was there. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was, I will never forget the first time I got punched in the face. It was wild.
0: Um, I don't suggest it. (laughs) Do
1: not get in fights with Alberta girls. You will lose.
0: Oh, yeah. I remember when I was in Fort Mac, um, one of the main – when I first started dancing, she was, like, the top seller at Fort Mac at the time, and her client really liked me, and we were talking. She wasn't sitting at the table. I didn't poach him or anything. And then she threatened me with her gun afterwards. And for, like, that happened, I was like, that was how it was even back then. Like, that's how it was. Bitches were fucking crazy back then.
1: (laughs) Oh, girls used to, like, dump super glue in girls' suitcases and mash all their costumes together so they couldn't work. Yeah. Like, it was brutal, the stuff that would, <laughs> girls would do to each other, because everybody wanted one of those five spots on stage. It was it was doggy dog And <laughs> so coming from that and now seeing, like, oh, like, you can do a pull trick? Perfect. You're our feature. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you have a bikini from Walmart? Even better. Does it match? Oh, good. <laughs> like we had to be held to such a high high standard to be a feature and there was only like two features a week everybody else was just a regular dancer and it was so insulting if you didn't get a feature spot like the mindset has changed the entertainment has changed because the club was able to lower their overhead as soon as pole dancing became fitness Mm -hmm. um Tammy Morris at Tantra Fitness I think I was one of her first ever students oh wow This like she had just opened up her very first studio. There was still dry, like the drywall was still drying, and my girlfriends and I were taking private lessons from her because we were like, "Listen, we want to be good. How do we be good?" And there was nobody teaching. And Tammy was like, "Well, I could, I could teach lessons." And I remember we were like some of her very, very first clients, and it was amazing. But Tammy Morris is one of those famous strippers that came from. That showgirl mentality, like you came out in an eight piece costume with theme music and theme gimmicks on stage and not one second of your show, you were standing still. Mm-hmm. Something always had to be moving. You always had to have the arm up, you know, Brandy's arms. I'm <laughs> we going to Brandy's and you had to take a class on how to dance and do the Brandy arm so that you never looked like you were bored on stage. <laughs> it's, it's the dumbest dance move ever, but it works. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the, the whole mentality has just changed. It's just changed. And so I really hope that if I do get to go back on stage one day that I can old school showgirl it up.
3: Um, so I had a question. You mentioned the hub uh, a little while ago
0: and yeah. I think
3: I have spoken about it on the podcast a, uh, like a while ago. Uh, my university has a club called porn hurts And they talk about how uh, porn is really dangerous because um, people get uh, desensitized to kind of the uh, brutality of some kinks and they just want more and more and more. And then also that um, a lot of the porn isn't sourced ethically. So, you know, especially when you have Pornhub, which does a lot of stuff for free, how can you make sure that – porn stars directors the girls the guys you know are getting paid properly so um i didn't know if you wanted to shed some light on both of those things and just kind of porn hub and how that affects um the porn industry and, and free porn as a wh- as a whole
1: so porn hub is like the mafia of porn um, we can't get rid of them they're not good um, I was literally just emailing with my Pornhub guy like an hour ago um, because I found a bunch of pirated films on there and I was like, put those in my account or delete them. Like, Don't let somebody else make money off this. Um, So Pornhub basically works like they come to your house, they open your garage, they steal your bicycle and then they sell it. And if you catch them selling your bicycle, they'll give you a piece of what they sold it for. And that's what makes it okay. And if you bring them your lawnmower next week, they'll sell that too and piece you out again. And that's kind of how it works. Like They're like, oh, well, your content's already here. You should just open a profile. Oh, we'll open one for you. We'll pretend to be you. That way you're being represented and people still go to you eventually. We'll link to your Twitter. And so that's what happened. Pornhub made me an account. They wrote my description, which if you read it, you can tell I clearly did not write it. Um, I think it says I'm like five foot one and my is the wrong day. It's, it's crazy. Um, I think it also says I'm like... 150 pounds which is also a lie um but it's oh and i'm known for my bouffant hairstyle apparently that's oh, one of my, my house are you. <laughs> <laughs> i'm known for my bouffant hairstyle i don't i don't know where that is but okay um but yeah they made this account and they're like well you know if you want to monetize this account you could just keep providing us with porn and if you get enough if enough people view it for free we'll give you some money and i was like <sighs> And I was trying to get everything taken down like a madman. And they were like, listen, if you can't beat them, join them. So now I actively put up trailers on Pornhub, begrudgingly, because it's just such a giant monster. You can't get away from it. As soon as somebody's like, oh, you're Samantha Mack, they go to Pornhub to look me up. They never go to Mack movies, they never go to samanthamack.com. I have like six different websites, they never go to any of those. You can click the link in any of my bios, but no, they go to Pornhub and they type in my name. Well, now they're seeing pirated content or they're seeing fake content. Or they're seeing videos that are 10 years old and they think that they're new. Um, and because my body has changed so much throughout my career, they're like, oh, wow, like you look like this? And I'm like, no, that was me 10 years ago. <laughs> You're looking at a, a 27-year-old Samantha, not a 37-year-old Samantha. Try again. Spin the wheel. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I, I hate that Pornhub has become such a big monster. But the only way to win at this point is to just let them continue putting out pirated content, claiming ownership of it, putting it on your own verified site and getting those pay-per-clicks.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, it's not a lot of money. It's very, very, very little. It, it profits me the least out of all of my platforms, out of all of my websites, out of all of my fan sites. Um, I get the least out of Pornhub. You have to get a bazillion views on there to make money. And why would you encourage people to watch your shit for free over and over and over again to make a couple bucks on Pornhub mm-hmm. when they could be a member of your OnlyFans and you could make that money in one custom video
2: mm-hmm. and
1: you could talk directly with your customer. You could have that, that intimacy and interaction, which is what people are buying now. No one's buying you know, whole whole showing shocking videos anymore. They're, they want that intimacy and interaction. They want their fantasy fulfilled by you for a reason. It's far more profitable to – to go on these other sites, clip sites, building your own website, that's far more profitable than using Pornhub. And there's a lot of amateurs who jump on Pornhub because it gets them the exposure. Well, the exposure does nothing for you. Like being popular on Pornhub isn't
2: a trophy, guys. Like, oh, yeah,
1: people stole your content, look at you for free. Good for you. Yeah.
2: <laughs> you know,
1: I'd, rather, I'd rather be the feature of a club where a 100 people came specifically to see me. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that, that holds a lot more value. Um, the one thing you were saying about how porn like desensitizes people, mm-hmm. uh, I think it all comes down to education. People start watching, people forget that porn is acting. Um, now we got to separate amateur porn and gone and like only style porn from the porn industry. Porn industry is acting. We are in positions that don't feel comfortable but look great on camera. We are saying things that we normally wouldn't say. We are creating a story and an illusion and a fantasy for your pleasure. Where um, a lot of people get mixed up in the head is they think that that's real. I did a series called The Face Crusher. And I've been on, I have been—I was on an airplane the first time I came to L.A. this year. And this guy was like, oh, my God, are you the face crusher? And I was like, <laughs> no, I'm Smith Mack. Um. That was just a character I played and they're like oh do you love sitting on faces and I was like no I don't actually I think it's
3: kind of stupid (laughs) and he's just like oh tell me all about it
1: and I was like could you please believe that that was acting yeah please believe me that was acting because I was like a vigilante superhero who like snuffed out bad men by sitting on their face um it was really cheesy and stupid and I was like no none of the men died no one no one suffocated under my ass it's not that big relax (laughs) um But when we film things, like when people get together and film OnlyFans videos and they're just like feverishly fucking and then they throw it on the internet and, you know, they're forgetting to do their age verification or their identity verification paperwork. They don't have the rights to their content and they're just throwing out stuff because, you know, you're new and it's exciting for someone to say that you're beautiful when you put your tits on the internet for the first time. And you're just throwing that content out. Well, then you can get stuck in the loop of like, okay, well, I have to show something more shocking and more shocking and more shocking the next time to keep these fans going because you're not coming from the business mind your business mind would tell you to do as little work as possible for as much gain as possible. You know, create the stories, advertise and market over time, sell the same thing for two months. I sell like one big video a month. That's it. I make, I basically make 12 movies a year. There's girls doing 12 videos a day right now. And they're just forking out that content. But at the end of the day, they realize they forgot to do the paperwork. They don't own the rights to anything. And if somebody wants to pirate it and sell on Pornhub, they absolutely can. And it's really hard to fight that. It's really hard to claim your DMCA for a custom video that you don't actually have on a published site somewhere. So people are shooting themselves in the foot by doing like crazier and crazier and bigger things because they're not thinking with their business head. They're thinking with a quick cash Mm -hmm. thought. They're like, Oh, this money here today in my hand is so important that you forget that you can have bigger money in the future if you play the long game. And so people are flicking through porn. They're like, Oh, this girl will do anything. What else can I get her to do? And they're, you know, they're throwing quick little bits of money at her for some customs, $50 customs, hundred dollar custom videos. And people become a slave to the monies so and the performances. Maybe stop being ethical. Um, as a viewer, sometimes you see something that shocks you. It makes you feel a certain way. And so you start looking for deeper and crazier content. Um, I'm a big fan of BDSM content. I think it's wild. Um, I love genuine pain sluts. I think they're really fun to watch. Am I one? Probably not. Um, but I love watching them and cheering those girls on. Yeah. I love I love it when like, I know girls in the industry who are genuine pain sluts who absolutely love those scenes. And you can tell when you watch them, how, how much they're actually enjoying it. But then there's some videos you watch where you're like, Oh, this girl's not enjoying this. This is just something happening to her because the supply and demand was off. Mm-hmm. And this guy was like, okay, well I got to, I got to whip her till she bleeds in order to get money on my website. So I found a girl who would do it. That's scary.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's why we have codes of conduct we have consent forms. We make sure that we are as ethical as possible because you don't ever want to be in that position.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: when you start masturbating to those scenes, it gets a little rapey. It gets a little unethical. It gets a little scary. And that's when you finish watching porn, and you delete your browser history really fast. You're like, I can't believe I just got off that. <sighs> Is it our fault that we're visually stimulated and we feel a certain way when we see something? No, you're supposed to have a response when you see something that is crazy and outrageous. Should the producers keep making it knowing that the people are only there for the money? Probably not. If that girl is only taking um, a paddle to the pussy and needles to her nipples because you're paying her a certain amount, you're just making a torture scene now and selling it as porn. And I don't know where the line is, where it stops being ethical.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I think you got to love what you do. I think you have to like what you do. And if you like having needles shoved in your nipples and your pussy slapped, awesome. You should be doing that job. Mm-hmm. Not the girl who gets dragged into porn because she's too broke to pay her bills and she got roped into it. it has no other option. That's when it gets scary. Mm-hmm. And there are definitely productions that are based on that. Or the storyline is based on that. And maybe it could be fake. Maybe they're really good actors, but they're presenting it in such a way like, oh, we got this girl off the street, she's never done this before, she's crying, but she has to be here, or she's not going to get paid. That is the wrong thing to make someone masturbate to. Mm-hmm. That's that's it's not it's not necessarily consensual if the only thing keeping her there is the fact that she can't buy groceries unless she gets beat by you enough that you'll give her a paycheck.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Like yeah. we got to stop making those kinds of storylines. Like the same thing with my cheating wife storylines or the the family incest storylines. Like there's some things we shouldn't encourage people to masturbate to.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and I love hardcore BDSM. I love, I love really painful, dramatic scenes as long as it's consensual. and Wonderful. Like the stuff shot with kink.com, you know, those girls want to be there. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've done the paperwork. Like it's pages and pages long where you're like, okay, do you want to be spanked? How hard, what parts of your body? What's, and you have to like check off all these boxes. It is pages and pages and pages of consent paperwork to make sure that you're sure that you want to do this, 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 and this. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's some websites where they present themselves in such a way where they're like, no, nah, she's forced to be here. This is against her will. We shouldn't encourage people to get those feelings based on forcing people to do things against their will. It's not cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it all comes down to production. And that's one, one of the things I really push point of camp is think about the, the story that you're putting out there you know, you want to do an incest scene or why, why do you, why is it important to you to fuck your brother so badly? Why is it, why do you want your fans to think that their sister is hot? Mm-hmm. Is that the message you want to put out there? Or is it just an easy way to make a buck? And mm-hmm. I, I really don't think that people should chase the money. Um, I do what I love because I love doing it. I love making movies. I love having sex. Um, I love pushing boundaries, stirring the pot and being a bit of a black sheep. All of that is such a turn on for me. However, if you're only doing those things for a paycheck, you might want to check what you're doing because mm-hmm. if you love it and the paycheck comes, it's a win-win. But you would get into a really unethical place when you're just pushing boundaries and pushing other people's boundaries for money.
3: Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. I, uh, I sat down with this group and I was like, have you ever spoken to someone in the industry? And they were like, well, no, we just looked at the research and I was like, Maybe you should stop. <laughs> and who conducted before the before
0: I
1: had my my labiaplasty, I finally like admitted online. I was like, I was like, damn it! I'm like, I've always wanted to do one of those scenes where like my pussy gets stapled shut or like sewn shut, and then my ass gets fucked. I'm like, I think that's so wild and so crazy and so extreme. I'm like, but now that I have like a brand new labia, like I would never like puncture it because it's so perfect and beautiful now. Uh-huh. But I was like, the day before surgery, I was like fuck, I wish I knew someone who could like take a staple gun to my pussy right now. Cause like I've always wanted to experience that crazy intense, mm-hmm. like crazy. This is a pretty crazy scene. Every pussy your so in a shot. <laughs> yeah. But I was like, I've always wanted that. But I was like, I was too afraid to tell anyone. And then it never happened. And that was definitely never going to happen because mm-hmm. my pussy's is perfect now. But it was one of those times where I'm like, I'm somebody who wants that. I'm seeking that. So I'd be the right person for that. Shoot. Mm-hmm. You know, like that makes it, it fun and ethical. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes those scenes are not not presented as such
0: yeah okay well we actually did want to talk about your designer pussy and that's a perfect place to stop this episode we had so much to talk to samantha mack about that we had to split it up into two different sections so this is the end of part one go listen to part two for the rest of the episode thanks for listening and happy hoeing